0: I have a prayer request here. Um, I, asked, uh, I asked Elizabeth to bring this. Every now and again, I bring in interaction from some of our CAC readers, and they listen to this Sunday school class, some of them. All right, so they want to feel like they're part of what we're doing, and they want us to pray for them. <laughs> This guy says, Firstly, I want to say that I've had access to the web and email even prior to Al Gore's having invented it. <laughs> I like this guy already. <laughs> I, do, I do believe that this is the first email I'm writing in response to the hundreds of articles I've read over the years. I write this to you because I have no pastor. The man who claims that office strives to be a, a, a team manager, it goes by CEO that you noted in your article. Among other earmarks, he does not engage in pastoral care activities that you noted in your article. He's defiant of any challenge to his authority, established a fa- fa- flawed governance to take over the church rather than make over the church. So um, he said my, this article was actually Robert Schuller in a secret Sensitive Church, which was some years ago. So he talks about the floundering relationships and how they're really lacking fellowship, So he says at the bottom here, Now I find myself in concert with a very small number of critical thinkers attempting to reestablish the sound foundation that our church was founded upon. This next week and month will be the most important that I have ever known in the life of any church we've served over the years. The odds of success are proportionate to those Gideon faced when he defeated the Midianites. Aside from the hand of God, a prospect which excites me much if not all, will be lost. I'm asking you personally and for you you to ask your congregation to pray for us and the welfare of this flock that has no shepherd, or rather, who is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Feel free to use this email as you best see fit. Thank you for allowing me to unload. So this guy named Peter is asking for us to pray. You know, this, this is... When it happens to somebody, it's like your whole world's coming apart because that's how important church is to people. And this is just one of probably 100 or 200 or 300 stories. There's no way to count anymore. Some of you have your own. Um, But for him, it's like this is it. The church. We're going to fight for our church, but it doesn't seem like it's possible to win the battle. So pray for Peter as we begin here and all the other people out there that are in the same circumstance. Lord, we do pray for this brother Peter who loves you and is concerned that the church would continue to be defined the way you would define it in the Bible and not the way modern marketers would do things. And whatever battle it is that's coming up, I pray that you'd help him and the remnant there to persuade the leadership of the church that the salvation of souls will happen through your means, which is gospel preaching, and that the growing of saints happens through your means, which is teaching them the pure word of God. Pray that that would become the foundation not only of that church, but many, many, many churches all over the world. Lord, you would not be without a witness in these last days. And we pray for us as well. Keep us, um, guard us against any sort of high-minded thinking. May we be humble. And may we just realize that if it weren't for your grace opening our eyes, we'd be as deluded as anybody else out there. And help us today to understand 2 Corinthians as we study that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so, thank you, Elizabeth. I always have her remind me when I'm supposed to pray for something. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. And very famous verse, but I, as I was doing research on this, it actually it means something quite different than I ever realized that it meant. Uh, but here's what it says, "Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as through God, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God." Now, I've always interpreted this to just be another way of describing gospel preaching to the world. And that's certainly valid. I think that by implication, we certainly are telling people that they need to be reconciled to God. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's, he says this is ironic rebuke to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians, who have... Um, Believed the false super apostles and therefore doubted Paul and his gospel. And we're looking, if you remember 1 Corinthians, they're looking for worldly wisdom, sophistry. You know, he said, I didn't come preaching the wisdom of the world. They were looking, they they wanted sophists and they wanted a more appealing message than the message of the cross. They were looking for visions and revelations. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. They were looking for somebody that wasn't so, um, homely as paul (laughs) you know you're not very good looking you're not very articulate well imagine if you all the beatings and stonings and (laughs) shipwrecks and left for dead i imagine they didn't have plastic surgery back in those days so you imagine what paul looked like okay and so these other guys look pretty good in comparison so he has to he's forced to defend himself even though he really doesn't want to have to do that because in their minds, because he brought them the gospel, Paul and the gospel stood together. If they reject him, they also reject his message, because these other people had a different message. And so what Paul is saying is that um, God was in Christ, in the context here, remember, we talked about reconciliation, verse 18 and 19, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and giving us the word of reconciliation. Now that would be, Preach to the whole world. So he says, all right, I'm an authorized apostle by Jesus to preach the word of reconciliation. But I'm going to take that word and I'm going to apply it to you, Corinthians. Even though you're Christians, you're in a state where I have to tell you to get reconciled to God. So it's an ironic rebuke to the Corinthian church. Very much like the one in Revelation. Um, uh, you got to be careful when, when authors use irony. Okay? Remember, we did a radio show lately on that? We were talking about Paul's use of the term carnal when he applied it to the Corinthians. Um, And another irony in this sort of a rebuke would be in the church of Laodicea, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens, I'll come in and, and dine with him. But he was speaking that to the Laodicean church. And the irony is this the whole point of the church. is gathering around the Lord in table fellowship, okay? And, and the Corinthians were interested in that, although they didn't do it right, but the Lord's Supper, table fellowship. Dining would be Christian tables, breaking bread around the Lord and his word. The irony is that the Laodicean church was having a big party, uh, supposedly in the name of Christ, but Christ wasn't invited. Okay, And so he's saying, your table fellowship doesn't have anything to do with me, the Lord of the church. So it's irony, right? Now here's the irony be reconciled to God, you Christians who are reconciled to God. And so and it's interesting that Paul, as bad as the Corinthian church is, he doesn't ever assume that none of them are really Christians, he speaks to them as Christians. But if a, if a Christian has to be told by the apostle to be reconciled to God, they're not doing so good. All right? They're in a pretty bad condition. So this ambassador, and I have a bunch of quotes I'm going to bring in here, but it says, we are ambassadors. And that's not always how, I mean, it's kind of an unusual thing here that Paul called call himself that. And we'll look at what that meant in the ancient world. But the, the short version of it is an ambassador is a fully... Authorized representative. The ambassador speaks for whoever he represents. And if, you, and if you reject the ambassador, it's tantamount to rejecting whoever sent him. And you see that in world politics today. If somebody gets really mad at the United States, what do they do? Well, they kick the ambassador out and close the embassy and said you're not welcome here. And so that's not just... Reflecting on the, the it, it, it isn't just the guy that was kicked out of the country who had been the ambassador or, or the woman, whoever it may be, but it reflects on the whole country. So by rejecting Paul, who are they rejecting? Christ. Yes, they're rejecting Christ. That's the irony. You're a Christian and you reject Christ? <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> but that's the way irony is or sort of like an oxymoron. It really is no such thing, but uh, like I said, uh postmodern thinking is an oxymoron.
1: you you're really you're really limiting the we in this case, right? To Paul. And, and doesn't that throw out your first statement which was the gospel preaching to the world? It well, now, the implication... verse 19
0: is. Okay. Yeah, verse 19 He says, reconciled the world to himself. And now he's making an application. Now he's going from that idea, the big idea, down to the church. Okay? In this verse, he's dealing directly with the Corinthian church. And so he is begging the Corinthians to be reconciled to God. So there's your irony. The we here is either the epistolatory plural or Paul and his associates. But sometimes a single author will write we. I do that myself all the time in order to not put yourself so forward. Saying I a lot gets to be a a redundant, especially in theological writing. Oh, you're just getting it back? Okay. Well, let me, I think what I'll do here, because I have a bunch of citations from scholars, but let's distribute some verses, and you can be looking for them while I find my citations. So we'll just start over here. Lincoln has Malachi two and verse seven. And Pauline, John twenty, twenty one. Dale. Dale. How come I keep forgetting that? that where yeah. yeah, where's your name tag? <laughs> it's not fair, you can see mine. <laughs> I'm Bob, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ephesians six twenty. And Lawrence, uh two Kings seventeen, thirteen. Uh, Robert, 2 Corinthians 36.15, and I don't know you. Jim, do you want to do one? Sure. Okay. Nehemiah 9.29. You got one? I got a Bible. Oh, you got a Bible in there? Okay. Jeremiah 44.4. 4. <laughs> and you got one of those too. <laughs> um, <Four friends. laughs> Luke 10.16. 44.4. 4. <laughs> you guys got little tiny Bibles that look like that. Two, no, 2 Chronicles 36.15. Did I say Corinthians? 2 Chronicles. I am just testing you to see if you knew how many chapters are in Corinthians. All right, now hold those for a second. Well, in fact, let's, let's have Lincoln do his while I'm looking for some of my citations. Go ahead. For the lips of the priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Yeah, that's an interesting section in, in Malachi. There's, there, Malachi is another area, it's kind of a similar literature because it's an ironic rebuke. Okay? In other words, they, they had the restored temple after the captivity and they got their system back up going, but they weren't doing it from the heart because they really wanted to serve God. They were just, and so God was saying to them, I hate your feasts, I hate your Sabbaths. And, and, and they say, well, what's wrong? What, what, they don't know what they're doing wrong. And one of the sections in there was rebuking the priests for not teaching the Word of God. They had some other agenda. I know this fairly well because when I, I had a course in the Old Testament that had a required paper, and I wrote an entire paper on a section of Malachi. That was an interesting course. That, that teacher for that course is the reason I couldn't get straight A's in seminary. He kept giving me a minus or B plus. And, uh, and it was like, it was, it was so frustrating because it was, I, I worked harder and harder and harder and I could never figure out what he wanted. And so finally, at the very last time that I had him and the very last assignment was the Malachi. And I think I figured out what was going on because they always give you this word limit. And then when you follow their word limit, they dock you because there are some ideas you missed. So I decided to take a risk and ignore the word limit. And I just wrote anything I wanted. I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I said, if he, if he flunks me for word limit, I don't care anymore. He gave me an A. <laughs> now I figure this out. <laughs> In the last course. And that was on this, that was a, that was on that section of Malachi. And I remember really digging into that section. But it's, it's an ironic rebuke because, well, it's almost like this thing I read from the fellow that we prayed for. You know what I mean? It's irony. It's ironic that you have the shepherd or elder or elders who are appointed by God to feed the Lord's flock, and they have defined their role to be marketing director of a corporation. That would be very similar. That would be a valid uh, application of Malachi, to to point that out. Malachi, that's the same thing that happened. They liked the position priest, but they didn't like responsibility teach the truths from Moses to the people. And so that's why Malachi is a total rebuke to the priestly system, as it was in Malachi's day. And Malachi was the last prophet, and after him they went 400 years with no prophet. Okay, um, which one? John 20:21. 20, okay.
2: So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you.
0: Okay, so that, there's the idea of the sent one. He, Jesus said to his disciples, or his apostles, the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So the sent one, and which is literally what apostolos means, the sent one is sent with the authority invested in them of the one who sent them. So Jesus Christ appointed his apostles, authorized them to speak for him, and thereby they're speaking for God, and the words that he sent them out to speak are authoritative and binding. All right? And that same claim, and excuse me for being redundant, but it's one of the most important issues we have in the church today, who speaks for God and what has God said. I mean, that's, you can't get any more basic than that as an issue, right? All right? Hebrews makes the same claim. Hebrews says that God spoke in the fathers, and the prophets, in many portions, in in many ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. But it doesn't end there. You go into Hebrews 2, and it says that it brings in the apostles. That God had, that they confirmed the word. Remember, He told them, I'll bring to your mind everything I said. So the apostles also spoke for God, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and that God confirmed that they spoke to him through signs and wonders that he did according to his will. Now, that is the whole debate. When we do the conference on February 9th, all of these things I'm dealing with are all going to somehow come back to that issue. Who spoke for God, who speaks for God, and what has God said? And can you think of anything more important than that? Because if you think something's from God but it's not, it becomes a millstone around your neck. Because it, 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 you're... I mean, look at people that blow themselves up in the name of what they think their God is. So deception is very costly, yes.
3: Well, I was going to say the the whole Bible speaks for God. And if people ignore a portion of the Bible, then they're rejecting Christ.
0: Yes, that's true. And that's why it's important... To that passage uh, uh, that Pauline read is why it's so important because it's uh, establishing the fact that the apostles themselves spoke for God. And, you, know, you wouldn't think you'd have to battle this, but you know there's people out here now calling themselves red-letter Christians. Have you heard that? Yeah, red-letter Christians. And you know some Bibles have the have the Jesus's words in red. And so they're what they're trying to say. Is we're only concerned with what Jesus said, and we're not. In fact, one I quote one of them in a chapter that I wrote the other day. Keith read it. Uh, polyanity, yeah, it was Brian McLaren saying people believe in polyanity, but I believe in Christianity because I read the red letters. Okay, so now now what's that? What's that doing? But laying down the gauntlet and saying, not the whole Bible is authoritative. Only the red letters. The rest we, didn't, we can safely ignore. But Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And Jesus spoke for God according to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. The set ones, the apostles, the ones that he authorized, also spoke for God according to Hebrews chapter 2, and I think about verse 3 or so, and according to Jesus himself. They speak for God. So you can't do that. And the implication that Jesus had a different message than the apostles is a serious attack against the unity of the scriptures and the can- canonicity of the whole Bible. Because we, we don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. We believe that it's got a unified message from Genesis to Revelation and that it all fits together. In fact, it fits together so well, the more I study it, the more it amazes me. I'll show you some more in the sermon this morning. I I spent a whole five days on this sermon. It normally doesn't take that long. But I was finding so much stuff and digging around in the text to see how these all come together. It has to be the Holy Spirit. A bunch of men writing religious books would never figure out how to have such a coherent message that was written over thousands of years by how many different authors? Dozens of different authors. Okay. Um, I was going to before we get to more quotes, let me give you some material about what an ambassador meant in the ancient world to help us understand our passage here. Comparing, This is from a guy named Garland. Comparing the way ambassadors normally function in the ancient world points up some rather noteworthy differences about Paul's commission. First, in ancient times, ambassadors were considered to be inviolate and were never to be imprisoned. There were cases where ambassadors were scorned, mistreated, or assaulted, but this kind of mistreatment, was condemned as a breach of universally accepted custom, which Livy refers to as the law of nations regarding envoys. Okay, Such abuse met with swift rep- retribution if the ambassadors represented a greater power. So if you mess with our ambassador, we're going to come in with the army and deal with you. So they figured you'd better not do that. By contrast, being Christ's ambassador has not given Paul a sacrosanct status in the eyes of the world or if his. diplomatic or of any diplomatic immunity. He's an ambassador in change, Ephesians 6.20. Incarcerated, beaten, dishonored, 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10. We'll be studying here in a few weeks. While other ambassadors might wear gold chains and pendants as tokens of the wealth and power they represented, the insignia of Paul's embassy is his chains. The chains were not something to be ashamed of, 2 Timothy 1.16, but the appropriate credentials of an envoy of Jesus Christ who is himself put to death by worldly powers. God will not be trifled with. <laughs> However, nor will God allow Christ's ambassadors to be abused without penalty. You know, just because judgment is delayed doesn't mean it isn't real. I'm going to talk about that in my sermon. And the wrath of God isn't being poured out right now. Well, how do you you know the wrath of God's not being poured out? (laughs) Yeah, the world's still here. All right? But it doesn't mean it isn't real. Second, this guy says, the surviving documents and inscriptions that provide us with some record of ancient diplomacy make it quite clear that envoys were usually sent to others as a sign of friendship and goodwill to establish a relationship, to renew friendly relations, or to make an alliance. Their purpose was to renew or establish goodwill, friendship, alliances. God's purpose in sending Christ and his envoys has the same end, to put an end to the hostilities and to bring about reconciliation. God sends out envoys to continue to announce that now is the day of salvation and the day of reconciliation. And so as Paul goes out with the gospel and as we go out with the gospel, because we were at issue, does God still speak? Yes, yes. It says in Hebrews that if we refuse him who's speaking, we're going to be in greater trouble than they were when they refused Moses. Because the one speaking from heaven is greater. Now, how is he speaking? That's the issue. I'm saying he's speaking through the Scriptures. All right? That when we read the Scriptures, God is speaking to us. And he's doing so with authority, and he's doing so in a way that's binding. That's what I believe. Now, I had a little conversation with somebody yesterday about this. Does that mean we don't ever get anything from God whatsoever? Well, what what our claim is, is that all other guidance, impressions, dreams, vision, anything that we might get is part of providence. And by by being part of providence, God uses providence. And he he has all things at his disposal. And He uses all things to work together, to cause to work together for good, for the good of His people. And God could have me have it, or you, or anybody else have an idea. Remember, I quoted uh, my teacher, Dr. Ray Levain. He said, "Well, the only kind of guidance I believe in is a sanctified idea." <laughs> okay. And uh, and so God can cause us to have an idea, and it's not binding revelation like Scripture. Okay, and God is never gonna say, if you don't follow your idea, you're in trouble in eternity. Okay, because idea, because our ideas are not inerrant. And they're not bindingly authoritative. But, that doesn't mean God doesn't use them. And that doesn't mean God may not give us ideas. And God can not only give us an idea, He can make us want to act on it. But we're making the choice and we're acting. Okay, so I get an idea to have a seminar. Well, actually, that was Carl's idea. <laughs> God spoke to me, and it was through Carl. <laughs> he says, Why don't you get, what do you got on your heart? Why don't you get some material together and make some more videos of some of this stuff that we never caught? So we can decide to act on an idea, and God can use it. And then it turns out that. Right a week after our seminar on hearing God's voice is another one in town. A week before is another one in town telling everybody the opposite of what we're saying. So we can say, listen to both sides and decide which is more biblical.
4: Yes. And in, in the concept isn't that we, we don't believe that God isn't active in our thoughts and our dreams. We believe that he's more active than the other side, the mystics. The mystics believe that they have to go seek for God to tell him, to tell them stuff in their minds and then they'll have God's voice and act. We believe that God's always continually acting, giving us thoughts, ideas, uh, desires, and we just go through life making decisions as we see fit and his will is being done. It's compatibilism. The other side, which is is why it's so uh, appalling, would say that I seek God for... Ideas, and he calls and the guy that we're talking about, Mark Brinkler, says it's uh, God speaks to you in your spontaneous thoughts as you as you quiet your mind and you just write them down in your journals, and afterwards you can see what God told you. They call that automatic writing. Well, he calls it God. Okay. So, so when God <laughs> speaks to you that way,
0: sounds like Neil Donald Walsh.
4: So when God speaks to you that way, he will say that's the voice of God. Now you must do it because there's a there's a. Uh, a binding there to something that isn't binding. We believe that God speaks. In everyday life, as we go through, he's leading us because he says he'll never leave us or forsake us, and he's working all things together for good. Yep. But we make decisions, and we're held accountable. It's our
0: decision. I totally agree. And see, that when you start lo- taking your own ideas and elevating them to the level of authoritative Scripture, and then binding yourself to them so you're a sinner if you don't follow what you thought God said, you've just put yourself in bondage, and as we said in that one article, you become a false prophet to your own self. Okay. In in other words, you're prophesying in the name of God, thus saith God, you must do this. And then you're a sinner if you don't do it. Now, I used to think that way, and I got myself into all kinds of troubles, and Diane can tell you a story about how I was trying to help this one guy for ten years, who ended up murdering his father because I thought God told me to. And so I, so I followed that voice of God for 10 years until Diane says, Stop. Remember? She says, Stop. This is going to ruin our family. It's going to destroy you. Well, God told me, I don't care. Stop. There's the voice of God. <laughs> Sometimes the wife does speak the right things. So. Don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> okay, yes.
1: Yes, I I, I agree that it's uh, true that we have to be, certainly have to be wary about this topic of God told me this and that. But I think of the verse that says, um, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And then also... Since Satan is very capable of producing a counterfeit that would indicate or imply that there is a genuine article. It's okay. the genuine thing, or God does speak to his well, people. but and see I we know, don't
0: know the difference.
1: Well, I think they, his, Jesus said, sheep my sheep, I, my sheep okay. hear my voice, and they
0: Yeah but that, but you're not interpreting that correctly. Well sorry. I,
1: okay, let me just speak from personal experience. I, okay. As a Christian, I know that God speaks to me, and it's, okay. sometimes it's conviction. It's through the Holy Spirit. I always run it under the scrutiny of Scripture, to, you know. And e- even so, I'm never in some cases I'm never uh, perfectly confident that it was God speaking. But nonetheless, uh, there was a strong implication. You know, sometimes I'm very sure it's God. Uh, how do I know that? I don't know. But other times, I, but I always the thing is I always run it try to run it under the scrutiny of Scripture, mm-hmm. and um, you know, thinking of. A, A couple instances in my life but there are other times when I have no doubt that that's God speaking and it's usually a very strong uh, conviction
0: but but Uh, we're suggesting that you don't even need to make that kind of decision unless it's something that's outside of God's moral will in other words you can trust that God's working in your life and if you have ideas that you think would be pleasing to God for you to do and they're not sinful ideas you're free to do it, and God's still working. You don't have to say, God told me. You see what I mean? You yeah, can still, I'm not taking anything away. Yeah, I'm just I'm, redefining these, it.
1: These are things I rarely convey to another person because they're so sacred. It's between yeah. me and God. I rarely convey uh, the times when God personally speaks to me, and I think everyone here that's a born-again Christian can relate to the fact that God speaks to us. But, but, uh, and,
0: Coralie, the, the the thing I would caution, okay, is that you you would never consider that binding, because what can happen is like with me, I got it wrong, but I thought it was binding and authoritative, just like the Bible. And then I had to follow it for 10 years until my life was almost destroyed by it. And so these ideas God is working through, but they're not binding. So if we say later, no, I'm not going to do that, we're not sinning. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. But let's just let it percolate for a while, sure, sure. okay? Sure. It's just a whole different paradigm, uh, uh, Craig. And, by the way, the, the passage that uh, Carly mentioned, my sheep hear my voice, means in John 10 that when the Gospels preached, his sheep hear the inner call and, are re- and repent and are saved. That's what it, that's what it means in context. Yeah. It's just an example kind of what
3: you're saying. A friend at work that he about four years ago, he bought a farm down yeah. south. Closer. <laughs> friend of mine, or somebody at work bought a, bought a farm down
0: south, and, uh, you know, it, it didn't work out, so he's, he's come back to work,
3: but he was saying, oh, I miss, I, I feel like I'm a sinner because I went down there and I missed, he didn't hear from God right, so he's going through this, you know, and I say, it's, yeah. not, it's <laughs> not a sin to make a mistake, but yeah. he's like, oh, I'm sinning because, you know, now he thinks, He's hearing from God, right? But you know,
0: it wasn't wrong for him to do that. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good example, Craig. I had another one like that. I remember Dick. You corrected me. Sometimes the wife speaks, and sometimes it's Cuff here. <laughs> but also, let me tell you the story. This was in the 80s. About that same time when I was trying, I was my whole paradigm of what Christianity meant was being challenged. Okay, because I'd always been weaned on this. God, if God tells you what to do, and then if you do what he says, it's going to work out. So I had bought an old car. Bert, you're part of this story. Remember when we were trying to fix that old car? And, I, and, the, and So I bought this car. It turned out to be from a car jockey that had taken down and put a $89 paint job on it. And it, it probably had 100,000 more miles on it than what the odometer said. And so then I, after I got the car... Then I ended up having to fix everything, everything, the power steering. And I had to have those Buicks for years. I'd never seen a power steering wear out on it. So that's how I knew it had, probably had 200,000. And then Bird and I pulled the engine out of it and rebuilt it. Remember that? And then the transmission was bad. And it was like, okay, so I went to the elders and I repented. Remember that? <laughs> do, do you not remember? No. I said, I, it took, because it was taking me away from, I mean, I was doing days and days and days and days uh, on this car uh, trying to recoup something out of my bad buy. And so finally I went and I actually apologized to the elders for not hearing from God. I said, I obviously wasn't listening to God. or I wouldn't have bought that car. And Dick, you rebuked me. And he said, you can try to save money on a used car if you want. It isn't about God. Yeah, yeah. Keith always says it's not a sin to be dumb. (laughs) And so, so, what was see What? And thank you, Dick, for telling me I was off base. He didn't even remember it. And but Bert, you remember, right? All the trouble we had with that. Well, we spent days on it. Well, here's the deal. My paradigm was wrong. My, that sort of my view my view was, if I did hear God, I'd never buy a lemon car. But how do I know that God isn't sanctifying me by having a lemon car? <laughs> Maybe I'm teaching being taught patience. Uh, but see, the fact is that if you, take, if you have that other view, you have just given up all Christian liberty, because every decision in life, then, God is going to dictate it or at least some of the decisions, or the important decisions, and you're no longer making a decision. You know, but the fact is, God gives us freedom to decide a whole range of lives. Whatever is not binding in Scripture, we're free. Adam was free to name the animals. Okay? And it shows that even before the fall, human decisions are valid things. And, and it isn't going to thwart God's purpose because he's working through our decision And the amazing thing to me, here's what's really amazing, now that in the late 80s I changed my worldview, I mean my theology, totally changed my theology to start believing in God's providence rather than my ability to hear uh, ideas in my mind, is that the thing that really amazes me is how often God gets me to the right place in the right time uh, to, to really work through me in spite of me. Okay, And and I see it again and again and again where I ended up at the right place at the right time. And I don't know. God did it. Yes.
3: Yeah, I'll try to keep this short because um, a few Sundays back in uh, Sunday school, I got kind of hot about um, a 12-step group that I belong to. And I think in all that we're discussing today, uh, like I didn't think I was going to be here today because it's too cold. Well, I got conformed and transformed, so my, my body showed up at church today. Okay. Despite, despite my human inclination. And I think what I'm thinking is, um, you know, in this 12-step group that I go to, the 11th step is meditation. But the thing is, there's no direction there. That's why I've had to find God in the Scriptures through a church group and through proper okay. instruction. But the thing is, this meditation, if I'm sitting there meditating, I, it's to distinguish whether I'm a sheep or a goat or whatever. It's I'm I'm human, and I need God's interpretation through all of the Scripture, not just the red letters. And so the meditation, if I want to wander off and meditate somewhere, that's fine. I can take the time to do that, but that's not going to direct me how to act.
0: Yeah, it's not how you hear God's voice. God's voice speaks to us authoritatively. So here's the two categories, and I realize this is a category shift. It was for me. And I'm patient. I, I don't demand that everybody agrees with me, but I, I, I do ask that you just think about the evidence, to think if this, if this way of thinking isn't actually more liberating, and, and it frees us from fear, in my opinion. Because I can, I can have ideas in my mind that I think God put there, and I actually can act on them. I'm free to do that. But they're not binding. They're just, well, okay, I decided to act because I decided to act, and I think God's going to work through my decision, and I think he may even put the idea in my mind to do it. And that's as strong as I'm going to say it. All right? Okay.
2: Well, um, I know I'm getting old because... I've been around long enough and I've seen this stuff come in. And we were actually in the church over 20 years ago where this man who's speaking at this other conference on communion with God came in and was teaching this stuff, except we got it for free, and now he's charging 40 bucks a head. Heresy danger- <laughs>
0: used to be a lot cheaper. <laughs> this,
2: this is a dangerous thing, and Bob is right. He's protecting the flock here from this, because I sat there, the man was teaching this to little children too, and he had people visualize in their mind Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, and he said, close your eyes, and Now Jesus turns to you and you walk up to him and ask him any question you want and write it down. And right away, it Mm. came to me. This is automatic handwriting. This is a cult. I felt goosebumps. You know, I knew this was wrong. I was praying against it. I couldn't participate in it. We went to the elders and the pastors of the church. Our, Our friend was a teacher in the Christian school there. She couldn't get in on his seminar which was required for the teachers so she bought his book Philosophy of Education in the back in the bibliography he listed occult sources and references from the occult we still have that book I have it too. In a box marked heresy in or the top of the garage we had to mark it heresy <laughs> we didn't want anybody thinking that if we were gone you yeah. know that this or is be, something we believe yeah. or
0: but, if you get in a car accident and die and they're cleaning up your stuff. Right, and they think right, right you you posthumously called a hair check right you,
2: you have to protect your relatives you know but uh, but but that's when we we met bob and and Bob you know I had a hard time at first kind of accepting this stuff, but i I have to tell you that after many years Bob has got it right
0: well, you know well, thank you. and and he he. In many, many years. No,
2: I'm not saying. I, I, I'm saying the Lord worked in me yeah. through, through many years. You know, I mean, I was diagnosed with leukemia. We were at TCF in the 80s, and I was thinking about this. It'll be 20 years now in June. And the elders at TCF at that time prayed for me. And I went through. Ups and downs, and I was close to the other side many, many times. And I used to just stagger down the hallway. I was so sick on this Uh chemo. And I'd say, it's either true or it's not. It either works or it doesn't. Lord, show me how your word works. People handed me all these word-of-faith books. I couldn't go there. I just cried one time. For three hours, they said to me, you you don't have a match for a bone marrow transplant. I just said, Jesus, you are all I have, and you're going to have to be enough. Enough. And when you get down to the bottom of that rope, the Lord is there. He leads through providence. I've seen it happen. And I, I'm very thankful for um, Bob's journey into truth. And, and I've, I've just seen it personally happen in my life. And I, 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 th- I
0: remember that story. You know, when I remember going out to visit you when you were so sick and you had just been visited by a Word of Faith teacher. Remember that? It was tell- yeah, telling her she didn't have enough faith, and that's why she had leukemia. And so I came out and gave the opposite report. I said, no, just put yourself in God's hands, and we'll keep praying for you. Well, she's still here. Amen. <laughs> they can't find any of the leukemia, and she was supposed to have died almost 20 years ago. And so you can just put yourself in God's hands and trust him and go forward. But the people were saying, no, you've got to believe this, and you've got to say this, and you've got to confess this, and if you don't, you are got to die, and it's going to be your own fault.
2: No, so you can't. What he said was,
0: you have to confess this. You can't say if it's God's will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, now,
3: Carl. Okay, I was just going to say, at what uh, what point do you, you take superstition into this equation and look at these things that... Uh, you know, that bother you from your conscience, that God gives you that good conscience to, to know that. It's not uh, that you see these writings on the wall or these voices that speak to you that you use out of your own good conscience these things that you, that, that are, that yeah, you choose. The, the
0: conscience is addressed, by the way, by Scripture in Romans 14. Um, let me see if I finish this verse here before we run out of time. Okay, God, we're making, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ being reconciled to God. Just so you get the main idea. Paul's the ambassador. These people are Christians. They were reconciled to God through the gospel, but they're acting like they're not. So Paul is taking and shaming them. Say, I have to tell you to be reconciled to God. I shouldn't have to do that with Christians. All right? Okay. Boy, there's people sitting here with verses, too. Okay, Keith, and then we've got to go back to the verses.
4: Well, I was just going to say that it, it sounds... Do you remember? It's very, very um, constraining or very abusive to think that before every decision you have, you have to feel something inside of you and call it God and take that decision because if we disobey God's voice, that's a sin. That's a definition of, God's, of a sin. And sin if you persist in it, leads to death and damnation. So this whole philosophy behind this is extremely abusive and extremely damaging because we go through life as a superstitious person trying to find which feeling is God and which isn't, Under- paying for seminars, trying you know, listening to people who claim they know that, where God has not led us that way, we can know what He certainly said in the Bible. In the areas of liberty, go forward, and maybe we make stupid decisions, but God's in the stupid decision, and we know that He's <laughs> carrying us forward, and that we're going to end up in glory, and that's enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because see, that, that's the other thing in, in the article about that was we pointed out. We better do the Bible verse. They're going to. I can't expect them to remember them for a week. <laughs> if he which one do you have? This is Ephesians 6.20, (laughs) and
4: this is where Paul is asking for prayer about his preaching the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak.
0: He asked for prayer to speak boldly. And, you know, there's things that, talking about this guy saying, Paul didn't know the future all the time. Sometimes the Lord appeared to him and told him something like the shipwreck, but most of the time he didn't know he said, I don't know what's going to happen. He wrote the Philippians and said, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to kill me or if I'm going to live. So he didn't have exhaustive knowledge of the future. Okay, 2 Kings
4: 17:13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers. And by which I sent to you by my servants the prophets.
0: Okay, they're commanding obedience to what God had said through authoritative spokespersons. We are bound to obedience to what God has said through authoritative spokespersons. But we're not bound to ideas that we might come up with. But we're free to follow them if they're not sin. All right. Nehemiah 9:29. Oh, I had Second
4: Chronicles. Oh, Second
0: Chronicles 36. Fifteen, yeah. Yeah, no, testing me. And the Lord God
4: of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling
0: place. So God's compassion is why he sent messengers to warn them. And that's why he sent Paul to warn the Corinthians, because he loves his own people. And when they go astray, he's willing to send someone to them to warn them. Okay. And as a compassionate. Now, Nehemiah
3: 9.29. No, I had uh, Chronicles. No, just kidding.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you warned them to return to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances by which man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly, they returned their... Uh, I'm sorry. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen.
0: Yeah, that was Nehemiah repenting for the corporate sins of Israel in the past because they didn't want to listen to God, and they ended up going in captivity. So when they came back, there's a great prayer in Nehemiah 9 where he's repenting and taking responsibility for why they ended up in captivity so they would learn the lesson. Okay, Jeremiah 44.4. 4.
4: Yet I persistently sent to you, all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh... Do not, or, you know, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn away from their evil and make no offerings to other gods.
0: So the consistent theme, God sends prophets to warn his people when they go astray. Luke 10.16. The one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. That's what he said to his authorized disciples when they sent them out to preach the nearness of the kingdom. Those are red letters. And by the way, the red-letter Christians only like some of the red letters. They definitely don't like the ones about hell. Yes. I was like say one thing. I, when, you're, when you become born again, you become a new creature, and the Holy Spirit comes to you and, uh, uh, you know, God says he uses our consciences and, and, you know, when we know we're doing something wrong or we have a feeling we're doing something wrong um, and it's biblical, it's we're going against the Bible. We know we need to stop. But otherwise, we're free to basically do anything. Yeah. the whole, And, and the, we're free to make decisions as long as they're not sin, And uh, God works through it. And I, you know, the other thing, this other view creates fear. Because if you get it wrong. Okay, one more. We got. We're already a minute over here.
4: Also, excuse me. Also, I think that uh, for us to make the right decision is something that prompts us on the inside that lets us know um, if, long as we're not trespassing upon anyone else or trying doing anything to harm anyone else when we make the decision, then we can also understand that God is helping to guide us to make the right decision.
0: Also. Yes, He is. He's working through our decision. Okay? Our decisions are part of God's providence. And even if we make a sinful decision, which is going to be a sin, and we need to repent of, God still is working. Because remember this doctrine of providence. Providence contains good and evil. God raises up the king. All right? So providentially, we have a certain leader. But that doesn't mean we can't look at what that leader says and does and know that whether it's sin or not. Okay? So God providentially gave us the president and people are having their commentary on what he does, whether they think it's good or evil. But God gave us the president and whoever the next one is, God will have given us that one and pray that we don't get the one we deserve. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. You can think about that for a while. We'll see up, we'll see upstairs at 10.30. <laughs>